Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Sorry about that first hour. Had some really significant technical problems. So yeah, that was a recorded hour. But uh, really here, this is me. Um, was rather frustrating, but got the problem fixed. So let's talk about um, what we should be doing this really lovely weekend. It, weather looks good, as in we don't have a freeze coming up. The temperatures, you know, mid-60s to 70, man, those are nice temperatures. And with no freeze, this is winter garden weather, especially your greens. Um, Leafy greens will love this because this is really uh, their time of the year. It's one of the easiest things to take care of, too. Now, you're probably going to see some chewing on your leafy greens. That's not at all uncommon. The pests that we get at this time of the year are generally aphids, um, white flies, cutworms, armyworms, the chewing type of insect. You may still have grasshoppers out there. So those are the ones that you need to look closely because caterpillars, aphids, and grasshoppers would all be treated differently. There's not a one-size-fit-all on these. So first rule, what's causing the problem? That's the part that's important. Once you determine who's being the bad guy, then we can address the bad guy. Let's go to the phone. This is James. James, what can I help you with? Morning, Jeff. I've got a question about blood meal. Um, Mm -hmm. I use it to side dress my onion rows uh, at about a cup for every 10 feet. Uh, every two or three weeks. And it, it's been told to me that the blood meal has a certain amount of, of uh, repellent capacity to repel rabbits and deer and creatures like that. Would, would that extend to the neighbor's cat that walks through my uh, <laughs> uh, rows that are nicely prepared or no? Probably not the cat. Probably Um, not the cat. Right. Uh, Rabbits, deer, um, maybe, maybe mice and rats. They smell blood and then it's a fight or flight response. The rabbits smell the blood and they're like, no, I need to get out of here because something's here to eat me and I'd rather not be eaten. But um, the cat, hmm, no, you're probably not going to be able to chase the cat away with blood meal. Now, it's a good choice for fertilizer, but um, 
that's all it would be in trying to keep the cat out. It's not going to help. You can try, um, it's going to sound weird. You can try the horticultural vinegar. Don't spray it on the plant, obviously. But if you spray it on the ground, the cats are not big fans of the scent of it. It can help act as a repellent to keep the cats out of that area. Just remember. It's funny you mentioned that, Jeff, because I just picked up a gallon of 30% vinegar at the feed store this morning. That would be fine. Like I said, don't spray, of course, any plant, but spray uh, like you would side dress to make that barrier to try to keep the cats out of that area. Now, how effective is it? I don't know how long it will stink for the cat. If you sprayed it today, would you have to spray again tomorrow or could you go a week? Could you go a month? It may be something that takes a little figuring out to know if um, if it's working well enough for you. Okay, well, um, I've been spraying that 30% vinegar straight, and it does a pretty good job. I don't know if that's overkill or not on uh, the grasses and winter grasses and the broadleaves that come in, up in between uh, the weed cloth. Uh, no, that's not an overkill. There are places that will sell 40% vinegar. Now, Normally, we tell people 20%. That's called horticultural vinegar. 30 is just going to be more effective against those weeds. But it's also going to be less forgiving if you have any overspray. I put it in a little one-quart squirt bottle, and I use it to get the the little weeds that come up in the tree pots uh, this time of the year, and it does a pretty good job. Uh, I even get it on the uh, trunk of the, the trees that are in the 25-gallon uh, tree pots and doesn't seem to, you know, hurt the tree. You know, um, at that size, at the size tree you're looking at, I wouldn't intentionally spray the trunk but that's one where an overspray is really not going to bother um, bother the tree. So that's a good way to get rid of those free weeds that keep coming up that you don't want. <laughs> okay. Well, um, we'll uh, keep working on uh, trying to keep the cat out of the uh, freshly prepared garden beds. And thanks for your advice. Yeah, good luck on that. They are everybody. There's always a stray cat somewhere, and everybody winds up having to deal with those kind of animals. That should be a... <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. You bet. Thanks for the call, James. Yeah, folks, cats don't like the smell of vinegar. And arguably, you could use ammonia, household ammonia, and spray it on the ground. It's a fertilizer, 
and it stinks. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to smell it. Neither does the animal. So you can try using that to spray a barrier around your plants. Not sure how long that lasts either, but it can be quite effective. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Bob, I see you there. Can you hang on a minute? I got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Bob. Bob, what can I help you with? Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Wonderful day. That that first hour kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, but you were predicting uh, the weather forecast and stuff, and so it got me to thinking, uh, do you have a favorite uh, weather station you go to, like even to predict like long-term forecasts and stuff like that? For long-term, as in long-term, two, two to, two I to go three, to Noah. Two to three weeks out. Oh, no, I thought you mean like 90 days. No, I would go to Noah for the really long ones. Two to three okay. weeks out, nobody. Uh, I mean, right. respect for them. My daughter started her career as a meteorologist in the Air Force. And it, they work their tail off and they have the best information they can get. But you know what? There are days you swear they're just throwing a dart at a board. So gotcha. anything over about three days is a guest. Okay. Uh, well, one other question. I'm, I'm uh, overwintering some uh, basil plants, and I have about uh, 50 of them in about uh, 10 pots, and I have a grow light on them. And can you uh, recommend maybe the uh, coldest temperature at night that they might survive? Uh, and uh, what kind of uh, amendments should I, should I fertilize them with? I just want to get them through, like, maybe February. Okay. 45 degrees is usually considered a cutoff for basil. Okay. Now, it may get colder than that, and they may still be growing, but at about 45, they're kind of like tomatoes in that respect. Now, amendments, seaweed is always worthwhile. Maybe if they're going strong for you, maybe once two weeks, maybe once a month to apply some seaweed solution. Other than that, um, a very, very light fertilizer. You don't want something with super high numbers and something that leans to the uh, leaf side, something with a higher nitrogen number. A little cottonseed meal would be good. Um, there's a Nature's Creation has one called 624. Uh, there's Grow Green from Medina. Those are good. You might consider at about half the recommended rate for fertilizer. Okay. Okay. I also put uh, my coffee grounds on the plants about every two weeks, and they seem to like it. Is that uh, enough nitrogen for them, or would they like a little more? You could probably safely do it weekly. 
Uh, coffee grounds are generally a two zero zero. So that's a really good fertilizer when you're trying not to overfeed them. So um, you could probably do that weekly. It'll be a problem okay. because you'll wind up you'll wind up kind of burying the plants in coffee grounds. So you know, keep it maybe an inch deep. And and they will like that. That is a good fertilizer for them. Okay. Thank you so much, Jeff. You bet. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks, you know, we talk about coffee grounds. And you can go to any of the coffee shops, and most of them will give coffee grounds away for free. Yeah, you can go in there. And uh, I know that the Starbucks near me, you go in and they've got a couple of buckets near the back and they've got these wrapped up bags, five pound bullets, they call them, full of used coffee grounds. And the used coffee grounds are amazing. You can use them directly or you can throw them in your compost pile and use that as something to help provide nitrogen to the compost pile to help it heat up and break down the organic matter faster. You can use coffee grounds straight on your plants. I knew an individual who would stop at the coffee shops every day, and he would pick up between 5 and 20 pounds of coffee grounds. And he did this for an entire year. He wound up picking up about 20 thousand, 20,000 pounds of coffee grounds. And he spread them on his lawn. And his turf looked fantastic. Coffee grounds have elements other than just the nitrogen. They're a good source of carbon, which is very necessary for the soil critters. They help build up your soil. They will act uh, to create lots of pockets for air, water, nutrient. So coffee grounds are a really super great reusable resource. And um, of course, you can always use your own coffee grounds, depending on how much coffee you drink. They are they're wonderful. And the nice thing about them is they smell like coffee. There are other fertilizers that you can use, and they do not have a pleasant smell. So your inside plants will, at worst, smell like coffee. And that's a good thing. Well, at least it's not a bad thing. So if you want to pick them up at a coffee shop, or you want to use your own, that's available to you. Now, it's one of the, oh, and it doesn't matter. Decaf, caffeinated, flavored, all of those are okay. All of those are just fine for use. Don't get all wound up over, oh, wait, that's 
decaf. Although I do ask the question of, that's kind of like, why bother to have decaf coffee? Totally misses the point in my book. But anyway, don't let that bother you. If you, you know, if you have a small container with a lid, and it should have a lid because you'll get gnats or flies and stuff like that, you can save up your coffee grounds through the week, and then at the end of the week, take them out, dump them in your compost pile, or spread them under your trees, on your turf, your flower bed. That's that's super good recycling, folks. That is really going to make a difference in the appearance of your turf, the quality of your turf. Um, it'll give it a nice green color because of that small amount of nitrogen without burning it up. Your potted plants will look great. So don't be afraid to use them. Now, we don't fortunately have a whole lot of substances that we use on a daily basis that we can just dump on our plants. Coffee grounds is great. Most of the other materials that would be considered waste materials, you got to compost them first. And that's like an extra step, though it can be really productive. Compost is great. It's tough to beat something where you can just take it straight out of the house and dump it on a plant. That's like the best of the best in the composting category. So take that into account, those of you who are coffee drinkers. And yeah, I will say this too. I know this may come up. Tea bags. You can dump a used tea bag on top of the soil of a plant. It will break down. It will provide organic matter. So you can try that also to, um, well, I guess you would get rid of trash that way, and it would be an effective way to recycle. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Uh, Robin, Larry, Susan, Barbara, I see you there. I need to take a break for the news. I'll catch you all on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Robin. Robin, what can I help you with? Good morning. I'd like to address the uh, cat issue that a gentleman called in about a few, a few phone calls ago. Uh, one yes, way that might work would be to get some fox urine. They have it in little spray ah. bottles at Academy. And you don't have to bur- worry about it getting on plants or anything like that. Just a little spray bottle of fox urine. And try that out. That's a very good point. You know... I I forget about some of those things like that. That is something that will definitely get a cat's attention because a fox will eat a cat. Now, 
it's not very expensive and it's not going to damage anything. So uh, that's a really good idea. I wish I'd remembered that. Thanks a lot for that, Robin. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call. Let's go to the phone. This is Larry. Larry, what can I help you with? Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I've planted two Oakland holly uh, bushes in the front of my house, south-facing as it is. And there's one that um, most of the main limbs have died, but at near the bottom, just a few inches off the ground, there's a spark of hope. Any chance to save that bush? Yeah, first off, before you assume the branches are dead, start cutting them back. Um, take six-inch cuts. Make a cut at the top, the dead branches, or the ones you think are dead, and then look at your cut and see if there's any ring of green. That would be the the xylem or phloem that is the vascular system for the plant. So if you mm-hmm. make those cuts up high and you go, wow, look, there's still some green there, that's a really good sign. That just means that the plant hasn't leaked out again. If you start cutting and you're not running into this green yet, it's a way to clean up the plant. If you've got green leaves somewhere on that plant, coming out of the ground maybe, that's a really good sign that the plant is still alive. And this is where you do, you know, I'm going to hit it with some seaweed. Um, uh, Maybe I get a fresh round of compost around it. And I need to really watch the watering. I haven't got a chance to talk about it yet, but I'm terrified that we're going to have another or a continuing drought well into next year. I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope I have no idea what I'm talking about, but it doesn't look promising. We're already getting a change in the El Nino. So... Make sure you're getting the right amount of water. Long, deep soak and water when it needs water. But if you've got green coming up, that's very promising. With the seaweed, would you spray it on the, on the branches or just pour it on the ground? I would pour it on the ground until you had more green leaf. You uh-huh. can spray it. You can spray it on the leaves like a foliar application. But if you haven't got many leaves, it's not really going to be absorbed through the branches. It's going to be absorbed through the leaves. So do a soil drench. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, well, the Super Thrive, does that help me if I use some of that? Yeah, that'll be a soil drench also. Yeah. And it's a, it is a very good recovery-type application. So the only thing is you wouldn't be doing it anywhere near as frequently as you might the seaweed. You can do them in combination. You can do them both on the same day. But you yeah. may not use the Super Thrive as often as you would seaweed. Jeff, you still there? Yep. 
Well, all right. Well, I'll give that a whirl. Yeah, yeah. But, it can't hurt. Yeah. And anything okay. that will help it green up for you again, that's what you need. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I guess I can use a reciprocating saw to cut those branches back. Right? I mean, some I can cut with loppers, but I'm going to get to where there it's going to be tough cutting. Um, Larry, if you go to a big box store that sells power tools, they will sell you a blade for your reciprocating saw that is designed to trim trees. Diablo is a company that makes them, and they work really well. These are great for people who don't own a chainsaw. They're not real expensive, and they do a good job cutting the tree. Okay, Jeff. Well, hey, thank you so much. Yeah, Larry, thanks for the call. Merry Christmas, Larry. Thanks. Okay, folks, let's go to Susan. Susan, what can I help you with? Good morning. I covered my garden this last week with, with the freeze, and I have pepper plants that are two years old, and they're loaded with peppers, and the end branches and some of the peppers are mushy and got frozen, but the, basically the whole garden, you know, it was fine. Do I leave those or do I cut them off or what do I do with the leaves that were damaged and the peppers and, um, you know, stuff that was damaged? If the peppers are mushy, you might as well remove them. They're not going to get better again. That means they may have frozen and now they're going to be mush and you really don't want that. You can trim off the worst of the leaves. It's interesting because mine suffered. I didn't cover mine, but I just touched freezing. And the main core of my pepper plants are still out there and doing well. But the outer edges, you know, the top of the canopy, some of the uh, outer edge leaves, they look terrible. Mm-hmm. And in the few peppers that I have left on it, um, they're, they're mush also. I could cut them off, cut those leaves off, and then hope that it recovers. More than likely, it'll recover, but our weather won't cooperate. We'll get too cold for them one way or another. If you want to try to keep them going, take off the dead, the nasty stuff, Keep them warm, and they are perennials, so if they don't freeze on you, you should be able to keep producing more and more peppers. You may have to wait till it's warmer, but the plants are technically a perennial. Just keep it alive, and it will come back. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Susan. Do we have time? Let's try. This is Barbara. Barbara, what can I help you with? Well, my grapevines are finally losing their leaves, but it's so slow. And they're, uh, the top ones are really in my, the top of the fence. I mean, they're really big, long. And can I go ahead and prune just some of the top growth? Or is it too early? Too, you know, are you supposed to do that after the freeze or what? 
You should be do. Um, let me ask this question: Are you growing them to produce grapes, or to simply cover a fence? No, no. I I want the grape. Well, last year, um, some of the grapes just dried up, and well, I have two or three different kinds. So some did all right, some not. You know, it's a pretty long area of grapevines. But the berries actually dried up. The leaves got all spotty on that one plant. I don't know if that was the Chaparral or the Spanish. You can, you know, it'd be, let me try that again. Sorry. We're going to get a freeze, a real freeze. We know that. A real freeze is going to knock back the rest of your grape. If you want to prune them now, you can, but prune them correctly. Because if you're only taking off some of the vine, you're going to have to take off much more of the vine once we get the freeze. And I'm real big on not doing work twice. So (laughs) if you're going to prune, prune is needed. But if you're looking to cut your vines way back like you would do every year, at the end of the season to promote next year's growth, I would wait till we get a freeze and it really forces the grape into dormancy. Okay. So as any time after the first heavy freeze, I can start coming yes, them back. Yeah, that'll, that'll mean you don't have to do it twice and that won't hurt the grapevine at all. Okay, great. And then on uh, the blackberries, I only have a couple, and I forgot to prune them back after they produced, and so now they're out there, and I put it off because of the stickers. Uh, so it's never too late to cut them back, is it? Uh, no, especially if they are canes that had already produced fruit. Remember, yeah. you don't want to prune back canes that are new to this year because they'll have fruit on them next year. Right. No, these are the old ones that have produced, yeah. No, you can trim them now. What did you say? You can can prune and trim those now. Right. Right. And what is it that uh, crepe myrtle likes? I couldn't get mine to bloom very much this year. That it's not very big tree. Uh, it likes to have cooler weather than we had and more rain than we had. That sounds kind of flippant, but that really is one of the harmful things of those plants. They took a beating. And to try to, for, to, to, try to force them in the weather conditions we had, we're not going to be productive. So mm. rain would be the number one thing that will help out. Um, and I don't know if we're going to be getting rain or not. Mm-hmm. So you can, so you can cross your fingers and trim off all the dead and nasty, and then hope this spring it leaves back out and and gives you a good bloom. Yeah, but there's no certain like uh, potassium or iron or not in particular, and it's real easy to overdo. Um, a crepe myrtle in trying to get it to bloom. 
compost around it will really improve the soil, which improves the growing conditions that the crepe myrtle is living in. That is always something you can use that won't harm the plant. All right. Thank you for your advice. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Barbara. Uh, Tom, Forrest, I need a minute. I got to take a break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's see. Let's go to the phone. This is... This is Tom. Tom, what can I help you with? Hey, Jeff. I got a I got a big lawn, about 18,000 square feet with about 40 live oak trees scattered about. And in September, I don't walk well, and at the price of fertilizer, I use a handheld fertilizer spreader. And within about two to three weeks, all of a sudden, I got patches of grass that were green that are turning yellow and now some of them have turned brown uh there is some green within the brown and within the yellow have i if i messed my my saint augustine yard up for good i don't think so but you have to understand there is a disease in central in all of texas excuse me called take all root rot it uh, likes extra fertilizer. It, it, it likes excess nitrogen. That can make it flourish. It kills the root and the runner of the St. Augustine. So, of course, it turns brown, and then you'll see that it'll actually turn to bare ground. There is a product called Actinovate. A-C-T-I-N-O-V-A-T-E, Actinovate. You can uh-huh. get it at your local independent nurseries, carry it. <coughs> and it's an easy product to use. You uh, mix it with water and spray it on the turf. It's pretty effective at knocking back the take-all root rot. The other thing that helps is top dressing your lawn at least once a year, at least once a year. Uh, A a quarter to half inch compost across that lawn will help the grass be able to fight the take-all root rot. That's interesting because I, I frequently on areas that aren't doing well. I I go buy some miracle grow kinds of garden soil and kind of use it as a top dressing, and it, it seems to spring the yard back just fine. I, I did That's something good. you probably wouldn't agree with. I, I sprayed on, on those areas I just mentioned. I sprayed some hose-in thing you buy at Home Depot for for brown spot and, and, and other kinds of fungus and stuff. I not, I don't walk well. I got some medical issues. So I put it on the end of the hose and I sprayed it about a week ago. So, but I'll, I'll do what you, uh, with the Accinovate and, and the top dressing. Okay. 
Yeah, some of the things in those antifungal, like you use, can be pretty tough. Not just on the grass, but on you. They're they're some of them can be pretty intense. So follow the direction. Be very careful and follow the direction. But actinamide is something that we use specifically for take all root rot. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Tom. Let's go to the phone. This is Forrest. Forrest, what can I help you with? Uh, Jeff, uh, I hear a lot about the uh, questions coming in about uh, dead grass around uh, uh, in their uh, St. Augustine. Yep. And uh, my question to you is, does the natural gardener still... uh, uh, look at uh, roots through, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, microscope in order so that people can get a correct uh, diagnosis of what the problem is so we don't have people spraying insecticides uh, uh, on their lawn yeah. thinking that uh, it's some kind of insect that's turning their lawn brown. Yeah, and usually the very first thing they reach for is something, some grub, control when it's highly unlikely it's grubs causing the problem. Uh, Forrest, uh-huh. I really can't, I can't answer that question. Um, oh. They stopped for a while. Okay. I know that they stopped during the worst of COVID. I don't know if they're back in business doing those kind of uh, checks. I okay, believe... So- People should just call them first to find out if they've restarted that uh, situation. Right. I know they still have all the equipment. I just don't know if, I don't know if in fact that they have somebody manning that help desk to be able to do that. Okay. Because it's going to be a real problem because the person that I was talking to was given uh, by the neighbor down the street's cousin uh, that uh, he'd heard that it's um, uh, the uh, little uh, bugs around the uh, edge of San Augustine. Mm-hmm. What are the uh, anyway? Uh, so uh, w- with something that looks like a disease, you know, to have them spraying uh, uh, insecticides sure must be a, a frustrating situation for them. So they need to get a, a, a proper diagnosis before running off and spreading pesticides. Yes, yes. It's a waste of money, and uh, it's not very healthy for for anybody. So you're, That's right. you're right. I, I think they're doing this. Uh, oh, someone texted me, Forrest. They said they were yeah. at the Natural Gardener a month ago, and they were, in fact, still doing this. They oh, were wonderful! Still doing the diagnosis, that's great. Yes, you're right. So um, I guess that answers our question, and I appreciate the person that texted me that. One last comment on that is that I remembered what the diagnosis was. Someone had told them that chinch bugs were doing that in in wet soil that was uh, cold by the yeah the weather, and it was just uh, that just can't be chinch bugs. Right. I get that a lot. 
Forrest, thanks for the call. We got a break for the news. I will uh, talk to everybody later.